Good morning. Let's stand together as we worship the Lord. We start out the month of December singing some Christmas songs about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's sing this one out. Joy to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let us receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains. Repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. He makes the nations prove the glories of His righteousness and wonders of His love and wonders of His love and wonders, wonders of His love. Amen. Great singing. You can be seated. Good morning, and welcome to First Baptist Church of Whitsum. Thanks for joining us for worship today. Here are a few upcoming events to help you stay connected. Our annual Christmas at FBC program is coming up on Sunday, December 17th at 10.45 a.m. This is a special time of music and videos as we worship our Savior and celebrate His birth together. Plan to be here for this event. Invite someone to enjoy it with you. There will be no Sunday school or junior church on that day. There will be a teen Christmas party at the home of the Vanneman family on Saturday, December 16th from 6 to 8 p.m. The evening will include Christmas-themed games and great food. Teens are asked to bring a $5 gift for the gift exchange. Please let Jeremy know if you have any questions. Community groups continue tonight at 6 p.m. If you are not yet connected with the Sunday p.m. community group, please visit fbcwixom.org forward slash community groups for more information. Community groups meet in homes most Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. In just a few minutes, we will be dismissing children four years through the third grade out the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. The ministry of First Baptist Church is funded entirely by the voluntary gifts of God's people. This is an important part of our worship as we unite together in a tangible way to advance the priorities of Jesus in our community and beyond. If you would like to participate in worship by giving, please utilize the giving box in the back of the auditorium. Request a weekly gift be sent directly from your bank to the church, or you can give online at fbcwixom.org and click on the giving tab at the top of the page. Thank you for partnering together with the rest of the church to advance the cause of Christ. If this is your first time at FBC, we would love to connect with you. If you'd like more info about FBC, prayer, or to learn how you can get involved, you can fill out a connections card online at fbcwixom.org forward slash connect. 
Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center for a special gift on your way out after the service. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's Word this morning. Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you this morning. I just have one additional announcement before we pray, and that is that you're probably aware that the school has a scholarship fund, and this is something that people contribute to regularly, and then we use it to assist families that are having uh, financial challenges, particularly in the school. Nearly every year we have one student or two that we're able to help or completely fund through the school uh, through the school year. And uh, this year is no different. We're helping a family that's going through a, a personal financial crisis. Um, but that fund is running a little bit low. And so I'm just uh, wanting to remind you this morning, if you'd like to contribute, maybe it'd be a good family uh, Christmas gift. There is a f- special fund for that. You can do that online, or you can just write a memo on the check. And um, I know that many of you are interested in seeing our school healthy and strong and the families that we want here with their children able to stay. And so if you could help us with that, we would certainly appreciate it. All of those funds go directly to help families keep their kids at Wixom Christian School. We're so glad that you're here this morning. Let's have a word of prayer as we start together. Father, we're grateful that we can come together and sing about the joy to the world that Jesus brings. Thank you that during this month of December, we're reminded often in every Sunday morning that Jesus is the reason, not just for the Christmas season, but for everything that we do. Jesus gives us a purpose to gather. He gives us a message to share. It is his word that we want to obey. And so we pray that today you'll help us to lift him up, that we will not just think on him, but that we will worship him in spirit and in truth. May you be glorified and the church strengthened today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we continue singing. Sing out together, angels from the realms of glory. Angels from the realms of glory, wing your flight for all the earth. Segregation story now proclaim Messiah's birth. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ, the newborn King. Shepherds in the field abiding, watching for your flocks by night. God with us is now residing, yonder shines the infant light. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Saints before the altar bending, watching long in hope and fear. Suddenly the Lord descending in his temple shall appear. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Continue singing this morning, it came upon 
of Midnight Clear. Let's sing this out. It came upon the midnight clear that glorious song of old from angels standing near the earth to touch their hearts of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to men from hands all gracious. The world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. Still through the cloven skies they come with peaceful wings unfurled. And still their heavenly music flows o'er all the Born to glorify 
the Father, born to wear the thorns for me. There's a rose in Bethlehem, colored red like mercy's blood. Tis the flower of our faith, tis the blossom of God's love, though its bloom is fresh with Surely one will be he knows for a tear of morning dew is rolling down the roads for all of Bethlehem. How lovely, pure and Born to glorify the Father, born to wear the horns for There's a rose in Bethlehem with a beauty quite divine. Perfect in this world of sin, on this silent holy night, for rose of Bethlehem, how lovely, pure, and sweet, born to glorify the Psalm 1 is our psalm today. Would you turn there with me? Psalm number 1. This is probably a psalm that you're pretty familiar with, but there's some incredible truth here that we want to look at this morning. We've been going through psalms basically one at a time, not necessarily in order, but looking at attributes of God in close to alphabetical order and asking these questions, who is God? And what should I do as a result of his character? This is really a theology from this book of worship. Last week, Holden brought us a message on God as the unifier. And it was such a joy last week to think about this truth, the unity that is among believers, and then to celebrate that unity by celebrating communion together. And then last Sunday night to, to really enjoy this as a church family, to, to sit down in our small groups and talk about the unity of the church. Somebody in our small group last week said this. The question was, when does the church feel like family? When does the church feel unified? When does it feel like one? And somebody said, like right now. 
Like sitting together in someone's living room and talking about scripture and praying for one another and encouraging one another. Such a celebration of unity. If you're missing our Sunday night gatherings, you're missing a lot of what Sunday is at FBCW. Great unity, and I appreciate it. I've been thinking about that message all week this week. This morning, we want to consider the fact that God is wisdom. Not that wisdom is God. You want to get this correct, but that God is wisdom. That's not very good English grammar, but what it's intended to get you to think of is what your notes say at the top, that he is the source God is not just wise, he does not just give wisdom, he actually embodies it. And this is a theme that is really throughout all of scripture, this idea of wisdom and how that God has it, he wants to give it to us and we need to ask for it. I want to think about that for a few minutes this morning. This word, this Hebrew word is the word hakma, and it means essentially prudent skill. It's not just physical skill, but it's skill that comes from here. It's the knowledge to know how to do something correctly. It is most often in scripture ascribed to God. Obviously, God has prudent skill. He has the knowledge to do everything correctly. In Proverbs chapter 8, in fact, there's this beautiful passage about wisdom speaking as a person and saying that I was with God in creation and that we created the world, God, through his wisdom. He doesn't just have wisdom, he embodies, he personifies wisdom. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, that Jesus is made wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. This is really important. He doesn't say that Jesus gives wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He is it. He is our righteousness. He is our wisdom. He is our sanctification and redemption. He embodies wisdom. So it's ascribed to God, but just by way of introduction to get you thinking about it, it's really demonstrated by Israel. I want you to think about, like Israel, I'm talking about like since the creation of the nation of Israel through Abraham. I was listening to an interview this last week talking about the Jewish nation, and the question came up, why do people hate the Jews so much? And I think the person who answered the question had a lot of wisdom on this. I said, well, there's a couple things. One, Evil often resents goodness, and there is religious rivalry in the Middle East, so to speak. But there's another level that people don't often think about, and that is that people often don't like others succeeding, and the Jewish nation has succeeded remarkably, in spite of the challenges that it has faced, and in spite of their disobedience to God's commands. They've still achieved remarkably, and there's a truth, there's an axiom that when a nation historically follows God and does at least these two things right, loves God and loves others, when a nation does that, that nation will succeed. God blesses those who seek him for wisdom, both as individuals, as churches, and as nations. Now, perhaps uh, you've heard of the golden triangle. There are several of these that are referred to golden triangles are three things that are essential for something. And, and it's been said that there are three things really essential for 
succeeding as an American. If you graduate from high school, that's a, that's a big one. Number two, if you wait until after you're married to have children, that's a big one. And number three, if you work a job, that's a big one, right? So if you got all those three things working, that you're likely to succeed. What's interesting about that is if you look at all of those, those are all based on biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom, God's way of living, morality works. It just works. Now, the beautiful thing is that the gospel is forward thinking. So if you say, well, that, that's not me. Like I, I, somewhere in there I've messed up. Like the golden triangle isn't true in my life. That's okay. You can make it true in your children's life, right? Deuteronomy chapter 6. You can teach them how to live according to the words of God. Wisdom ascribed to God, demonstrated to a large degree by the nation of Israel, encouraged in all of God's followers. Every follower of God is encouraged to seek him for wisdom. If you put all of the biblical references together and all of the ideas about wisdom and scripture together, you get a definition that sounds something like this. This is Brad Stilley's definition, but this is kind of encapsulates the thoughts of wisdom. The knowledge and skill to live temporal life well in light of eternity. The knowledge and skill to live temporal life, this life, well, in light of eternity. Now, it, this in light of eternity is a very important distinction that we sometimes forget about. What we're not talking about is living life well so that you become rich or living life well so that you become famous. We've all heard of rich and famous people who commit suicide because their inner man is completely bankrupt, right? What we're talking about is living life well in light of eternity, does your life flourish in light of eternity? Moses actually said it this way in Psalm 90. Listen to this. So teach us to number our days or teach us to live in light of eternity, God, that we may apply our hearts unto what? Wisdom. Teach me, teach me, God, to think about eternity so that I will live my temporal life with wisdom. Now, this word wisdom is found in the Psalms, as is the word wise. I've actually selected two Psalms today, and neither one of them say these words, wisdom or wise. But Psalm number one and Psalm number 26 are parallel Psalms. And what they do is they describe a life of wisdom. They describe what this looks like. Prudent skill to live life well in light of eternity. What does that look like? And can I just tell you that today, if life's not working, something's off, something's out of kilter, this message, I think, might be the most important one for you as we finish up 2023 and as we look forward to 2024. This is a great time to kind of put a line in the sand and say, you know what I'm going to do in 2024? I am going to walk in wisdom. So we're going to start with Psalm 1, and then we're going to look at Psalm 26 for a few minutes today. But here's Psalm number 1. Would you listen as I read the words of God? This is the opening song in the Jewish albums of worship. Listen to what he says. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. 
And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly, those that reject God, that don't think about God, shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Would you pray together with me? Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your wisdom. You tell us very clearly in your word that you are the source, that when we want wisdom, we're to ask of you. And yet so many days we live our life without your wisdom. Would you help us today to see that? Would you convict us of where we have been leaning too heavily on our own thinking and not leaning enough on you? Would you help us to acknowledge you in all of our ways? Would you help us to commit our way unto you? Would you help us to humble ourselves under your mighty hand? Would you help us to live your truth, not just hear it, but live your truth as individuals, as families, and as a church today? We ask that you be glorified in our response to your truth. Please fill me with your spirit and give us mental energy to understand your truth today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've ever visited a third world country, you know this is often true, where things look about right, they look correct, but they don't work 100% as expected. They look good, but they don't function quite correctly. That can be very, very frustrating. Have you ever had something that looked good that didn't work? In my mind, the opposite of this in the U.S. is a gas station chain known as Bucky's. Anybody ever been to Bucky's? Bucky's is an amazing place, all right? If you're ever driving south on 75 past Lexington, you got to stop. It's a life-changing experience. Bucky's is incredible. At Bucky's, you can get like any kind of jerky your brain can imagine. It's amazing. And they have fresh gummy bears, which is kind of my favorite. They've got coffee. They've got hot sandwiches. They've got cold sandwiches, fruit parfaits, grocery, clothing, furniture, tchotchkes. They got everything there. I mean, you can find pretty much anything. And there's 120 gas pumps. Can you believe that? 120. But here's the thing. It's not just big and it's not just cool. This is not an advertisement for buggies, okay? This is not a paid endorsement. Um, But when you walk in, everything works. It's clean. I'm one of those weirdos that like looks up to see if all the lights are on, you know? You go to the back and you go into the restroom and the restroom is spotless. There's somebody whose full-time job is that one restroom just to walk around, around, make sure it's spotless. The food is hot. The refrigerators work. Everything is great. You know, and I sometimes think like, I I know I've been to gas stations. I've tried to repress these memories. I know I've been to gas stations where there's one clerk and they're sitting behind the desk and they're half asleep and the place is filthy and the restroom is terrible and half the stocks are not shell, the shelves are not stocked. And and I think that's not how it's supposed to work. This is how it's supposed to work. This is how it's supposed to be in America. I often think when I visit Bucky's. So similarly, a life of wisdom works. It works. There are people's lives, when you look at them, you just say, it's just, it's functioning correctly. It's not perfect. It's not necessarily easy. They're not floating around on a bed of roses and all is well. 
but it's functioning correctly. It's working a lot like it's intended to work. What's the difference? And I would just submit to you today that I think the difference is wisdom. Because God lives his life, so to speak, his eternal, never created, never ending, eternal life. God lives his life flourishing. Would you agree? What he creates is good. What he says is true. What he does is always right. He is, his life is flourishing and he creates man in his image and says, hey, I've got some instructions for how you should live your life. And many people say, nah, I'll try it my own way. And it doesn't work. This is what Bi- the Bible describes as the fool, the, the foolish path in contrast to those who live a life of wisdom. So I just want to show you three really simple truths in Psalm 1 about a life of wisdom. Number one, it includes separation. The wise person, so remember the definition, a person whose life functions correctly, both now and for eternity, avoids worldly thinking. They avoid worldly thinking. Psalm 1 Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. The blessed and happy person, the psalmist tells us this morning, avoids counsel that is ungodly. That means that doesn't include God, that doesn't think about God and his truth. The wise and blessed person avoids places of wickedness, the way of the sinners. He avoids the attitudes of those that reject wisdom, the scornful. This is what a blessed and happy person does. He avoids. That's where it begins. It's kind of a negative way to start. But it's kind of like talking to somebody about their health. And they're like, I just, I always feel sick. And you look at their diet and you say, well, stop eating poison. Right? When you eat poison or when you eat something that's just really bad for you, it's going to make you feel sick. So let's start here. Stop doing this and let's replace it with something else. This is what the psalmist is telling us. We have to stop listening to the quote-unquote wisdom of the world, the ungodly, the sinners, the scornful. David said it this way in Psalm 26. Again, this is a parallel passage. David said, I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers, dividers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with the bloody men in whose hands is mischief and their right hand is full of bribes. Christians whose physical and spiritual life flourish, choose their influences very carefully. Now, you might say, if you're thinking, oh, hold on a second, Brad, I know we're not supposed to be of the world, but we're supposed to be in the world, so how do I handle that? How do I handle my unsaved friends? And can I just tell you that I think a healthy believer who is living out the Great Commission has to have unsaved friends who consider them close. Did you hear that? A healthy Christian who's living out the Great Commission must have unsaved friends who consider them close. But their view of unsaved uh, friendships is redemptive. The Christian says, I'm a friend with this person because I want to bring them to Christ. They think I'm one of their best friends, but my best friends help me spiritually. Does that make sense? Unsaved people should think of you as one of their best friends. But your best friends, the one that you bring into your inner circle, are those who can help you walk in wisdom. 
a godly man understands this. He's never influenced. Like, do you remember the story of Amnon, the son of David, who basically devastated his family with sin? It had far-reaching consequences for generations. And the Bible tells us that the reason Amnon did what he did was because he had a friend. And the friend influenced him to, to obey his flesh rather than to obey the word. A godly man never lets this happen. A godly man is never influenced by thinking that doesn't include God and his word. Well, you might say, well, Brad, where would you find that kind of thinking? Where do we run across it? Well, pretty much everywhere. Anything you can think of has non-Christian wisdom, quote unquote, to share with you. Uh, Reading material, podcasts, secular news feeds, social media, YouTube or other streaming, there are some good, is some good in each of these, and you can use each of these for good, you can redeem them, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but most of it should just be rejected as without God, that's the idea of ungodly. It doesn't have a thought of God, I really don't have time for it. Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter 2, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Step number one in living a life well in light of eternity is to separate. Now, I'm pretty confident if you're, if you're listening and you're paying attention, there was probably a couple of things that I said in there where you thought, I don't know if I buy that. Like, our world includes secular stuff. Like my job is secular and, and a football game, that's secular. It doesn't include God and maybe a form of entertainment that doesn't dishonor God. We're going to come back to that in just a minute and talk about redeeming secular things. But the first point that we're making here is to separate from sinful things. You can redeem secular things, things that don't have God in them. And we're going to talk about how to do that. But we're talking about separating from sinful things. Number two, a life well-lived includes sanctification. A wise person, a person whose life functions correctly both now and for eternity, seeks biblical influence. Verse number two, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. A successful person in this life and light of eternity seeks biblical influence. They want the word to wash over their brain. They literally want it to be true that some people say of Christians, you're brainwashed. Yes, I am. I'm washed by the truth of God's word. And I'm cleaning off the world all of the time with truth. David said it this way in Psalm 26. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord. Therefore, I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart, for thy loving kindness is before mine eyes. I have walked in thy truth. I'm seeking after you. I will wash my hands in innocency. So will I compass thine altar, O Lord. I'm seeking to worship you, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell all thy wondrous works. O Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thy honor dwelleth. You see, a wise person whose life flourishes, delights in the word of God. They delight in the truth of scripture. They love to be around God's people. They don't respond with, ah, one more thing we have to do. They say, is this a way for me to enhance my spiritual life? Is this something that God can use to bring wisdom to my life? 
This kind of person embraces any biblical influence. They see it as an investment in this life for eternity. What kinds of things are are investments like this in wisdom? Well, the Bible, obviously, Bible memory. Many people in our church have recently kind of been awakened to Bible memory. It's such a key to a flourishing Christian life. Discipleship relationships, small group worship, preaching, online sermons, Christian books, quality Christian music. There's just dozens of ways that you can take in wisdom. The person whose life flourishes knows that true wisdom comes from the Creator God. This is what James said in James 1.5. If you lack wisdom, ask God. In Psalm 111, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is where it starts. It starts with God. Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It's God's commands. It's God's testimonies. It's God's statutes. It's God's words that bring wisdom to a life. So a person whose life flourishes does two things. One, they separate from sinful influence. And number two, they sanctify. They seek biblical influence and their life flourishes in light of eternity lastly i want to show you success he says in verse number three that he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth his fruit in his season his leaf shall not wither and whatsoever he does shall prosper here's an axiom for life that you can count on a divinely ordered life flourishes. You might want to write that down. I think that's a good statement. That kind of summarizes Psalm 1. A divinely ordered life flourishes. It's not necessarily easy. It flourishes in light of eternity. It's not necessarily fun, but it flourishes in light of eternity. And can I just tell you, when we're in eternity, that's all that's going to matter. We've got this little window of time to practice for then. Does this little window of time, will it flourish? Well, it depends on my intake of wisdom. A wise person's life flourishes because a divinely ordered life flourishes. See, a tree is much different than grass. If you've got grass in your yard, I assume you do. I've got some grass in my yard. Every week or so, what do we do? We mow it down, right? Cut it down. It keeps growing. We just mow it down. It's really easy. But if you've ever tried to take out a tree all the way down, like one of these, almost impossible. Because the roots have gone way down into the soil, seeking for deeper nourishment. A tree has a hidden life that you can't see, that is going on way below the surface. And just like a tree with a hidden life, a Christian whose life flourishes, when you look at it, it's not because they're lucky It's not because they're an optimist. It's not because things are just clicking. A Christian whose life is flourishing in light of eternity has a life below the surface. You can't see it. It's their hidden life that makes it strong. A lifetime of wisdom is built by living each day with wisdom. Each day. Day, each little choice, God, what would honor you? What is in line with your word? Even our Christmas trees, if you like natural ones like we do, when you cut them, you've got to give them some water or they will wither. 
modern health in our culture includes people drinking water. Some of you have water with you right now. Some of you never go anywhere without water, right? You either know somebody like that or you are somebody like that, right? Why? Because you're just constantly taking in that fluid. You understand what this tree understands. Your body needs to be hydrated. This is a great example for Christians. We should just constantly be taking it in. Oop, I got five minutes in the car on the way down to Menards. What am I going to do? I'm going to listen to some Christian music or I'm going to listen to some scripture. I'm going to listen to something that builds wisdom in my mind. Oh, I got a few minutes extra. I'm going to work on my Bible memory. I'm, I'm sitting down and relaxing and waiting for something else to occur on the calendar. I've got a few extra minutes. I'm going to build some wisdom into my life. David understood this. Psalm 16, he says this, The lines are fallen unto me. In pleasant places. Think about David for just a second. His life wasn't exactly super easy, right? But he says, The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a good heritage. I will bless the Lord because he has given me counsel. My reins instruct me in the night seasons. I've set the Lord before me. He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. What's David saying? My life is good. No matter what happens, life is good. My eternity is settled and I'm connected to the Lord. I will bless the Lord. I will thank the Lord. I will listen to the Lord. Psalm 26 again, David says, my foot standeth in an even place in the congregation. Will I bless the Lord? As you get to the end here, I'm sorry, the end of, of Psalm 16 Verse number 12, my foot stands in an even place in the congregation will I bless the Lord. David saw the connection between his life flourishing and his time with God. Psalm 112, praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord, that delights greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endureth forever. Life might not be super, super easy, but the man who seeks after God, his life will flourish. Psalm 37, the mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of judgment. The law of God is in his heart, and because of this, none of his steps shall slide. None of his steps shall slide. So let me give you just a a little summary here that I think will help you with how to know how to respond to inputs in our life. Is it sinful? If it's sinful, just reject it out of hand. You as a believer do not need it in your life. If it's sinful, if it, and by the way, how do you know if it's sinful? Well, if it violates scripture, it's sinful. Or if it violates your conscience, it's sinful. Or if it violates your brother's conscience, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that's also sinful. So if it's sinful, reject it. If it's sacred, receive it. Yeah, anything that helps me think about God, anything that gives me bigger thoughts about Jesus, anything that helps me celebrate the gospel, I'm going to receive it if it's sacred. If it's secular... Secular would be anything without God. It's not sinful necessarily, but it's without God, like a ball game. That's without God. Like an activity. Um, a Christmas tree is sort of without God. It's, it's a secular thing, and there's a lot of our life that is like this. It's just secular. What can I do with it? Well, I can redeem it. I can make it useful in light of eternity. This is what Paul says. Actually, he says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. 
redeeming the time because the days are evil. So in other words, can I use something secular for eternity? Can I use an activity to develop friendships or to strengthen friendships that advance the priorities of Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. That's redeeming that activity. I can take secular things all throughout my life. Your work, if you work in a secular environment, which most of us do, when in your work, that can be redeemed. How can I use this, the money that I earn, the relationships that I have, the responsibilities that I do, how can I use these things to advance the priorities of Jesus? That is redeeming something that's secular. So if it's sinful, reject it. If it's sacred, receive it. If it's secular, redeem it. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, Verse number 22, put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, or start thinking with wisdom, and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So we're getting really close to the end of this year and the very beginning of 2024, New Year's Day. And it's popular for a lot of people at this time of year to make resolutions. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea. This is a great time to, again, put a line in the sand and say, I'm going to do some new man kind of things. Think about this verse just in the context of New Year's resolutions for just a minute. Maybe you could put off a little something in 2024 and put on something else to develop wisdom in your life. Imagine, I just mentioned several things. There's, there's dozens, maybe hundreds of ways that we can take in sinful influence or reject it. Take in biblical influence or reject it. What if you just did one? What if you said in 2024, I'm going to replace something. Think of it in terms of the time. Maybe it's 10, 15, 30 minutes a day that I spend and this influence is not helping me spiritually. What if I put it off? What if I rejected it? And what if I replaced it with something that does help me spiritually? What might God do if I turned off the world a little bit more and turned on the word? You know how if you carry an iPhone, it tells you about how your screen time's doing? Wouldn't it be kind of cool if when you walked in the back door, there was a little score thing that came up on the door? Like, how much of the world did this person bring in and how much of the word did this person bring in? It'd be kind of scary, wouldn't it? We could turn around and we hear a buzzer and we turn around and like, oh, that person needs a little more of the word. That would be good accountability. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, in your mind, as you go throughout the coming year, are there some things you could put off and things you could put on? Multiply it times 365 days. What a difference that could make. Let me just give you some practical ideas, okay? So these are just ways that we're influenced by the world. None of these are necessarily evil, I don't think. But maybe just, some, just get your thoughts chewing just a little bit on this idea. Practical ideas for turning off worldly influence. How about turn off the entertainment screen as a regular part of your day? There's certain parts of the day we just have no screens on at all. Most of what we get from our screens is worldly influence. Here's one. If the television is on, mute every commercial. Mute them all. We talk about worldly influence. If for nothing else, you know, commercials are intended to feed your covetousness, which is the number one sin mentioned in the New Testament. <laughs> you might want to avoid that one. So mute the commercials. Get off the couch. Ah, that one's pretty practical. <laughs> Get off the couch and go do something productive. 
read more Christian material than you do secular material. For some of you, that's hard because you have to read a lot of secular material. But how about reducing the amount of secular material and increasing the amount of Christian material? Choose Christian music over secular music. Do you know who likes secular music in their flesh? Everybody. You say, well, it's just not, you know, Christian music is just not my jam. Well, welcome to humanity, okay? Learn to change your appetite so that you're bringing things into your ears that enhance your spiritual life and your view of God. All of us have to engage with secular wisdom at some level, but can you do it biblically? Can you approach it correctly? Can you turn some off? How about turning some things on? If you don't read your Bible every day, start there. Memorize a passage with a friend. Try to pray for 15 minutes straight once a week. That seems pretty doable. 15 minutes straight once a week. Try it. It will be a game changer, a life changer for you. Find a spiritual mentor, a discipleship leader. Listen to one sermon outside of FBCW every week. Listen to one sermon. If you want recommendations, we can give you dozens. Fellowship with other believers. Do you know what this word fellowship is? Do you know what it is? You ever thought about it? We mentioned it a lot. Like, hey, we're getting together for fellowship. And it sounds like a kind of Christianese for food, you know. It's a little deeper than that. So fellowship, you can think of as gospel-based socializing. It's gospel-based, though. We're together for the purpose of pushing each other closer to Jesus. We might be eating. We might be watching a game. We might be playing a game. We might be doing some activity. But we're we're together to advance the priorities of Jesus. We see this in discipleship, community group, intentional friendships. Somebody mentioned to me last week at community group, and it was like, I thought, profound. They said, you know, it's probably easier for all of us just to stay at home on the couch tonight and kind of watch football and vegetate. But when we're together, it's so helpful to our spiritual walk. It's absolutely true. It might not be the easy thing to do, but it is the best thing to do. So how do you know if your life is flourishing in light of eternity? You might say, well, hold on a second. So before I make this resolution, Brad, I got some ideas, and I'm thinking about one thing I can put off, and maybe one thing I can put on. I'm contemplating it, but I don't know. Maybe my life is flourishing already. Um, Here's a little scorecard. So this is about flourishing lives now and in the future. And the reason I mention these things is because in the definition of wisdom, we talked about in light of eternity. So if you ask the question, like, what factors in my life matter now in eternity, it kind of limits it, doesn't it? So what factors matter? Well, how about this? How about the quality of your personal time with God? How often and at what depth? is your personal time with God. How about the quality of your marriage? Ephesians 5 tells us this is big because your marriage reflects the gospel. How about the quality of your marriage? Maybe you say, oh man, that one really for me is struggling. Okay, so there's an area in your life in which you need some more wisdom. It's time to put off, put on. How about the quality of your family discipleship, leading your children to live lives of faith that go beyond your own? How about the quality of your ministry? I think the best way to think about ministry for each of us is micro-ministry and macro-ministry. Micro meaning, who am I influencing personally? And then, what ministries am I involved in publicly that benefit the whole church? 
I think all of us should be involved in some degree with both, some ministering to the larger body and some ministry to just one or two others. How about the quality of your ministry? How about the quality of your great commission living, sharing the gospel with other people? You say, well, that's, that's not my strength, but we're all commanded to do it. Perhaps what you need to do is put off a little bit of worldly influence, put on some more word influence so that you can be better at great commission living. All those things that I just mentioned, I just mentioned five, all of those matter in eternity. They all matter. Flourishing is not about the easy life or living the American dream. Flourishing is about living life well in light of eternity. You got two choices, really. You can be one of these two guys. You can be the guy who thinks really hard and is pretty smart about life. That, would, that kind of guy can flourish at temporal life. But the one on the right, the one who's taking in biblical wisdom, can flourish at both temporal life and eternity. So the question is, which one will you be? Will you rely on your own thinking or rely on the world's thinking or will you rely on God's wisdom? Here's what Moses said to Joshua in Joshua 1.8. You're probably familiar with it. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Constantly talk about the word of God and meditate in it day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then... When the book of the, of the word of God, when the, when the law is constantly on your mouth and it's constantly on your heart and you're meditating on it day and night, then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. I think this is a great way for us to pray for our church and to pray for one another in the coming year. Lord, help us to flourish in light of eternity. Help us to seek your wisdom that we might walk in your way better. Father, please help us to do that. We're so grateful that you've given us your word and you've given us forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus Christ. But Lord, so many of us, we continue to stumble through life trying to figure it out on our own and we're failing. Would you please help us to flourish at life in light of eternity? These things that we mentioned, Lord, our, our ministry, our marriages, our discipleship, our family, our great commission endeavors that we would flourish at these things that we would see victory and we would see growth because we're constantly taking in big t truth and we're intentionally rejecting the influence of the world may that be true of this church in the coming year we pray in jesus name amen let's stand as we conclude this morning singing out angels we have heard on high Shepherds.
important thing our church can communicate with you is the gospel message. The word gospel means good news. The trouble with most good news is that it isn't really good until you see it relative to bad news. The discovery of a new cure isn't all that helpful unless you or a loved one has the disease that it cures. In the same way, the good news of Jesus is good when it is understood in relation to the bad news of our own sin. We are all sinners. That's the disease we are all born with. And Jesus is the cure. The good news that everyone can live forever with God in heaven, not because of anything we can do, but because of what Jesus did in our place. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The truth that everyone, everywhere, at all times in history needs to hear is that salvation is only possible by putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Would you put your faith in Jesus Christ today? Would you be willing to pray something like this and mean what you pray from your heart? Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I know I can do nothing to earn forgiveness and make myself right with you. Instead of dying for my own sins, I want to trust Christ and his death on the cross as payment for my sins. I want to repent from doing things my way and make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. The Bible tells us that those that repent from their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in this way shall be saved. Would you believe on him today? And if you did trust Christ today, if you did pray a prayer like the one suggested a moment ago and you really meant it, would you let us know? We want to help you grow in your understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you have more questions about putting your faith in Christ and we have great resources to help you with that. The Exchange Bible Study is a four-week study on the character of God that will answer most of your questions about the gospel. We have men and women ready and waiting to go through that with you in person or virtually. 
depending on your situation. Maybe you put your faith in Christ today, or, or maybe you did years ago, but you feel like you've not grown in your faith. We want to help you with that as well. We have literally hundreds of helpful resources and dozens of believers ready to walk with you through them. Let us know how we can best encourage your journey of faith in Christ using one of the contact methods listed below. Jesus Christ loves you and wants to spend eternity with you. May God bless you as you seek to live your life for his honor and for his glory.